Church, how are we doing today? Great to see you all. You blessed. I like that. It's good. Good, good, good. Awesome. Um, so excited to, to be here with you this morning. I want to invite you uh, to turn in your Bibles to uh, Judges chapter 4. We're going to be picking up the continuing uh, study of the book of Judges uh, this morning by looking at chapters 4 and 5. And so we've got a good bit of content to look through. Really fascinating story. That, uh, that that should grab a hold of your uh, your your imagination. Uh, there's uh, some incredible visuals in here. It's a little bit violent, so you know just prepare yourself emotionally for that, right? Um, but as you're turning there to Judges chapter four, I wanted to begin. Um, we're having the the mission trip meeting after uh, the service today, and uh, whenever we go to Brazil, there's or if you've been on a mission trip to another place, you probably had this experience where you go and you go through all the the travel, and you get there and you kind of get in to the place. And, uh, and then, but then after a day or so, all of a sudden it feels like you just like got really close to God. All of a sudden you start hearing from him really clearly and, uh, and you start reading and you might be reading some obscure passage in Deuteronomy and all of a sudden it has this incredible meaning and you're like, wow, that's like leaping off the page. Like I'm living that out. And you know, you you share times of prayer and people are praying or saying things that was exactly what God had laid on your heart. Have you guys experienced this? And so if you haven't experienced that, I encourage you to think about going on a mission trip because it's, it's, a, it's a good way to get a taste of it. But the thing is, you can, you can end up with this wrong mindset where you think like, oh, wow, God is really active on the mission field. I need to go on the mission field so I can get closer to God, right? But that's not the reality. That's not, that's not God is no more active and at work in Brazil or other parts of the world than, than he is right here. The problem is that in our busy everyday life that we get so going with so many different tasks and things that we're supposed to do and everything, uh, that we don't take the time to draw near to God. It wasn't like when we went on that trip that God suddenly started revealing himself in ways and just kind of punching through. It was we slowed down and we stopped long enough to just seek his face, to make ourselves available to him and have him speak directly to us. And the takeaway that we talk about and really strive to do is like, hey, we can bring this home. We can live this way all the time because God is always working for his glory. He's always working. He's always active. He, is, uh, he began from the time of the, the, the fall in the garden all the way through and into the future in Revelation. It tells us about how it's going to end, that God is working out this story of redemption and of, of, of expanding the kingdom and bringing hope uh, to people. And he wants to do that right now today in our lives if we'll draw near and allow him to do that. But the problem is so many times we're just not paying attention. We're not, we're not listening. We're not looking to see how God is at work. And um, in the passage today, we're going to, don't take my word for it, we're going to look at it in the passage, but uh, what we're going to see is that God works through circumstances. He, he aligns things that happen in our life. There's things that seem like random events that seem out of place, that don't seem significant in the moment, but later we come to find uh, that they were incredibly significant. God uses our circumstances, the things going on around us, to, to work out his will. Really importantly, he uses people to work out his will, that the sovereign God of the universe who created everything uh, by some uh, amazing miracle has chosen to, to do most of his work through us. <laughs> Broken, sinful humanity created in his image, capable of doing good uh, in, in the name of Jesus. But he uses us, he uses people, and he does it in accordance with his word. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And so, uh, like I said, we're going to be going through a really big chunk of scripture. And so we could lose our bearings very easily in, in some of the, the violence and gore that takes place. Am I really getting you guys excited about this? Or are you starting to be like, man, what is this pastor going to be? All right. So 
we can lose our bearings on it a little bit if we're, if we're not careful. But what, what we're looking to see is how is God at working? How is he working through the circumstances? How is he using people to do his will? And how is he working in accordance with, with his revealed will and with his word, what he said he's going to do? Well, guys, turn to Judges chapter 4. And we're going to begin to look at um, the next cycle in, in the story of Judges. And so it says this, uh, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And so what we see here is at the beginning of the chapter, it says the cycle is beginning again. For those of you that have been through this, uh, this, uh, this study with us, the book of Judges is this period after the nation of Israel had finally been come out of Egypt and they were promised the promised land, but they were disobedient, so they had to spend 40 years wandering around. And finally, they crossed over to claim the promised land. And, uh, but it says that it's a time period when there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so God said, I want you to go in. You've got to remove all the inhabitants because they're idol worshipers. And if you, if you go in and you intermix with them and if, you, and if you adopt their practices, you will fall away from me. And, and I love you too much to let that happen. So you need to go and clear land. But Israel was half-hearted in their obedience. And so they didn't clear the land. And so they entered into these cycles where uh, they would disobey God. They would go after the gods of other nations. God would essentially say, all right, I'm going to give you what you want. If that's what you want, I'll let you do it. And so he let them go, and he would turn uh, his hand against them. He would allow an oppressor to come in and oppress them to the point where they would cry out and say, God, save us. We went the wrong way. And then he would send in a judge to rescue them. And they would return, and as long as the judge lived, they would stay with him, and then they would fall away again. And so that's exactly what we're seeing here. This, uh, last week we looked at Ehud. He has died, and now they're turning away from God again. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Hagoyim. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. These chariots of iron were the, the, the most powerful weapons that, that were available in that time. It was the transition um, from the, the Bronze Age to the Iron Age. And so uh, the, this Canaan, uh, this, this nation was more advanced. And so they had these chariots as weapons that the nation of Israel didn't have, and they couldn't stand up against them. It was, it was an unfair fight. They had no chance to win. And so they were just uh, oppressed and trodden down. And it says that he ruled over them cruelly. He wasn't a, he wasn't a benevolent dictator. He, uh, he crushed the people of Israel. So now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now that is how you know when you've arrived. If they name the place where you are after you. <laughs> Has anybody seen Deborah? Yeah, she's up at the palm of Deborah, right? <laughs> like, that's when you know you've like accomplished something when they start naming things after you. If your street is named after your family, then you probably have made your mark in your community, right? And so, so we could find Deborah at the palm of Deborah. And uh, she would sit there and she would judge the, the, the people of Israel. As they would come, they would come and say, we want to know the, the will of the Lord. We have this, this situation and, and we recognize that you're a prophet, that you hear from God. And so we want to come to you uh, for your wisdom. And so they would come to her. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go with you, but if you will not go with me, I will not go with you, or I will not go. 
And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kedesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh, and about 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. And so the people were cowering. Uh, they were oppressed for 20 years. This army of chariots and, and this cruel dictator had, had crushed them. And Deborah calls Barak and she says, hey, God is telling you to go take 10,000 men and go up to Mount Tabor. Now, it's interesting. Mount Tabor was not a great place uh, to stage a, a battle because it was, it, was, it was an elevated area where Sisera's army was going to be able to come and surround them. So basically, it was a uh, it was a it was a last stand kind of scenario. They were going to go there, and there was no exit strategy. Uh, there wasn't any way out. If they went there and they fought the battle there, they were going to be completely surrounded, and it was going to um, uh, either either you win or you don't come home kind of scenario. And so she's calling him to this bold thing, and he says, "If you go, I'll go with you. Um, but if you're not going to go, then I then I won't go." And so we'll dig into that a little bit here in a moment. Now, verse eleven seems like a completely random and obscure detail. We're going along with the story of Deborah and Barak, right? And all of a sudden it says, Now Heber, the Kenite, had separated from the Kenites the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent far away as the oak of Zananim, which is near Kedesh. And then it jumps right back into the story, right? And so it's kind of like that scene, like a scene in Star Wars where all of a sudden they show a far-off planet and they show some sort of weird thing going on, and then they zoom back out and you're like, wait a minute, what was that? I know it's going to be important at some point, but I don't know what is happening right now, right? So, so keep that in your mind that that happened, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. Verse 12 says, When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all of his chariots. He's like, man, that's the perfect place to slaughter them, right? They're, they're ripe for the picking. So he called all 900 chariots of iron, all the men who were with him, um, from Hashueth uh, Hagoyim to the river Kishon, and Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? And so Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> How did that happen, right? <laughs> like, uh, they, they had the, the uh, you know, the, the unbeatable chariot army was coming against them, and suddenly they're told, go, the Lord goes before you, and somehow, amazingly, God routes this entire army. Um, uh, the detail wasn't given here, and so, so, so we don't know, but, um, but fortunately, it's coming a little bit later. So hold on to that. God is working in these circumstances. Remember where we, what, what we're looking at here, right? God is working in these circumstances. All these things that don't seem to quite tie together God is at work. He's doing something here. So he routes the army uh, before Barak and his soldiers. Sisera got down from his chariot, and he fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. Ah, okay, so now it makes sense, right? So that's why it was important to understand that they had set up their tent, because they set up their tent near the place where they're going to have a battle, and now when uh, Sisera is injured and he's running away from the, the battle and all of his army has been slaughtered, he goes and he finds Jael, the wife of Heber, who's, who's supposed to be an ally, he's supposed to be a friend uh, to them, and so he goes to her. And Jael came out to meet Sisera, and she said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, and do not be afraid. 
So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say, No. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. This is going somewhere good, right? (laughs) Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. And by the way, so he died, right? (laughs) Just in case you were wondering if the tent peg threw the temple into the ground, it did the job. He did actually die, right? Okay. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. And she said to him, come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. And so he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. And so you can kind of picture Barak's running, he's sweating, right? And she's like, she's like, here, I'll show you where the man is. And they go to the tent, and he's like, here, stay behind me, he's dangerous, right? And she walks in, and she's like, uh, yeah, I pretty much got it taken care of, right? As he's laying there, dead. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel uh, pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. And so we have in this a description of the events that took place where God, once again, in his faithfulness, uh, and, and that's a big theme not to miss in the book of Judges. How often is God faithful? They screw up, they come back to God, he rescues them. They screw up, come back. Does it sound familiar, right? Like, it's, it's a picture of our lives a lot of times. And so uh, thank God that God is faithful in that kind of way, and we see it evidenced in Judges over and over and over. When the people turn their hearts to him, he is so faithful uh, to provide a way out. But, but we're left with some questions coming to the end of chapter 4. We're like, man, that was, that was amazing. I'm not sure I, I understand fully what went on there. Fortunately, we have chapter 5 as well. And chapter 5 is a retelling of the same events, but in the form of a poem and a song. And so you might be picturing at this moment like one of those scenes out of Lord of the Rings where a little hobbit comes walking up and starts singing with his angelic Vienna boys choir voice, right? And uh, I'm not going to do that for you this morning, but you can imagine what that would be like, and it would probably be really cool. Uh, But we're going to look at, uh, in the song, there's all this spiritual detail. So we've got the facts, we've got the, the battle account of what happened, but now we're going to see from a different perspective, spiritually, what was going on, what was God doing in all of this, okay? And so it says in, uh, in, in chapter 5, Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir and when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. And so we begin to get this picture. They're saying, hey, on that day of the battle, oh yeah, it rained. (laughs) It rained hard. Water came down from the sky, and the earth shook, and so, so possibly there was some sort of seismic activity. There was a, so this chariot army is going out, and to get to Mount Tabor, where they're going to circle them, they have to go by this river, the River Kishon, and, and as you can imagine, all of a sudden, it just starts raining torrentially. God uh, uh, provides, and that's why he told Brock, now's the time to go, right, because God controls the weather. He knows what's going to happen, and I'm sure that the local weather teams would like to, to tie into him because they never know what's going on, right? But God understands what's going to happen. So he said, now's the time. And so you can imagine these chariots that are amazing on flat ground and moving forward. All of a sudden, they're going by this river, and it starts to get muddy. And they start to get stuck. 
And they start to get backed up, and this thing that was an incredible uh, asset to them now is becoming a hindrance. Because they went out, they thought they were going to fight a chariot battle, but all of a sudden the chariots aren't any good to them anymore. And so God is beginning to go before his people and work for them. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned, the travelers kept to the byways, the villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. And when new gods were chosen, when war was in the gates, was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. And so they're saying here that, that during this season when they had gone after these false gods, when, when they chose new gods to pursue, uh, there was no protection, that the highways weren't safe, uh, that there was not an army in Israel. No one was bold enough to pick up a spear or a sword because they were in fear because their gods were not providing. And we do the same thing in different ways, right? We go after these, these false gods, and it doesn't mean that we bow down to some, some silly wooden statue or something, but what we do is we say, man, if I get that job, then my life is going to be good. Then I'm going to be satisfied. If I, if I can get into a relationship with that person, then I'm going to feel fulfillment and, and satisfaction. If I, could, if I could just have kids, or, or if we just had grandkids, or, or if I could just buy a new home, or if I could just move, or uh, we, we look to these things as our saviors. And the result, ultimately, and it doesn't mean that those things are bad. Those are good things. A lot of those things are really good things. But if we're looking to them as our ultimate fulfillment and we say, man, once I, once I get the new iPhone, I'll be able to lay down in bed and I'll never want again. I'll be, I'll be full and satisfied and complete, right? We recognize that it's false. It doesn't last. And so we end up in the state that they're in where we, uh, the thing that we put our trust in has let us down and we don't have a hope and we don't have a future and we don't have a direction and a purpose. And that's how nation of Israel was at this time. Uh, she says in verse 10, Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way to the sound of musicians at the watering places, where there they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Then down to the gates marched the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, break out in song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives. O son of Abinoam, then down marched the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their root, they marched down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Machir, they marched down the commanders. And from Zebulon, those who bear the lieutenant's staff, the prince is of Issachar, came with Deborah and Issachar, faithful to Barak, into the valley. They rushed at his heels. And so, it's saying uh, he was called to call from Zebulun and Naphtali, 10,000, but we see that there were others. There were other tribes. There were others that came and joined in, and they're being praised for being a part of the work that God is doing. But there were also others. It says among the clans of Reuben, there was great searchings of heart. Should we go down? Should we, man, they're going to fight. Should we go to this battle? Should we stay home? What should we do? It says, why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks among the clans of Reuben? There were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. That those who didn't participate in what the Lord had called the nation to do are being chastised. They're saying, why didn't you come? God was at work. Why didn't you join him in doing it? It's a word of conviction for us, right? God is at work in our community. God is, God is at work here. He's doing things. 
And I wouldn't want God to look at me and say, oh, why weren't you, why weren't you a part of it? <laughs> didn't you see what I was like, doing? Didn't you, didn't you hear about what I was doing? Why, why didn't you join in? Why didn't you, why didn't you become a part of what I was doing? It says, Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to the death. Naphtali, too, on the heights of the field. The kings came, they fought, and then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoils of silver. From heaven, the stars fought from their courses. They fought against Sisera. And so the Bible, a lot of times, it stars will, uh, they'll, they'll talk about stars and equate it with angelic work. And so it's possible that they're referencing some sort of spiritual battle, some spiritual warfare that was going on uh, beyond the sight of man, that there was this, this spiritual battle. But, but also, uh, history records that there was actually a, a full eclipse that took place near, uh, and it would have been visible at Megiddo, uh, around this time period. And so it's possible that not only did God arrange it where a uh, torrential downpour was coming down, but also now uh, the earth is shaking and the sun gets blocked out, right? And you had to think that Cicero was probably like, man, maybe this is not my day. <laughs> Things seem to be lining up against me, right? And it continues, it says, the torrent Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with my soul. On top of all that, then we get a flash flood that comes and just wipes them out. And so you get this picture of before Barak ever got there with his army and his swords, that God had so decimated the forces that there wasn't much left to do except to clean them up. And suddenly you're like, okay, now I can understand. Now I can see how God was working to fight that battle before them, before they ever even got there. Have you experienced this in your own life where God uses these sorts of circumstances where he goes before you in a way that when you get there, you're like, wow, that was too easy. Like, I know how difficult that should have been, but, but, but God just, he just laid it out before me. He's, he's, he's more zealous for his will than we are. <laughs> and so God will accomplish what he set out to do. And, and sometimes we get the privilege when we're obedient and when we listen, we get the privilege of going along and being a part of it with him. Then Lau beat the horse's hoofs with the galloping, the galloping of his steeds. Curse Meraz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Now here's an interesting thing. that The scholars and, and everybody, they don't know who Meraz was. Uh, the, the, the record of, of Meraz, the, their identity, who they were as a people, uh, has been erased from history, right? Um, and so they, they truly were cursed. Like at this point, they're like, it's just a name. They're like, we assume they were close enough to the battle that they should have known to join in, and yet they didn't. And so another, another warning uh, that, that God not only is inviting us to be a part of it, but there's, there's a penalty for not coming in and being a part, that there's judgment for, for not coming and being a part of what God is doing. Now here's the part that's fascinating. Uh, verse 24. Most blessed of women be Jael the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women's most blessed. Like, Lord, are you sure? <laughs> she was kind of crazy, right? <laughs> like, I mean, she's like, hey, come on in, lay down. You want some warm milk? Uh, you know, let me put a blanket on you. Get all nice and cozy. I'm just going to go grab my tent peg, right? Like, <laughs> but God says she's blessed, right? There's an element where we've got to be okay with that. <laughs> He asked for water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. 
Between her feet, he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet, he sank, he fell, and where he sank, there he fell, dead. Just in case you missed it the first time, right? <laughs> Out of the window, she peered, the mother of Sisera, wailing uh, through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of the chariots? Her wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man, spoil of dyed materials for Sisera, spoil of dyed materials embroidered, two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord. Let your friends be like the sun, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And the land had rest for 40 years. And so we get one more final insight there that, that, that they imagine Sisera's mom, like, where's Sisera? He went out to battle a long time ago. Where, why hasn't he come back? When, when, when is he going to come? And then she's like, oh, yeah, wait, I forgot. My son is a pillager and a plunderer. And he says, hey, guys, uh, grab two maidens on your way out, right? That, that he viewed women as property be, to be taken. And, and she's like, oh, he's just enjoying the spoils of his victory right now. And so we get this insight into who Sisera was and how he treated women and how he viewed women. And so we begin to say, like, okay, now, God, I can see why you used women, uh, Deborah and Jael, to be his undoing, to be his demise, that, that the very ones that he devalued and that he, he tortured and that he, um, and he did horrible things, they were the ones that he used ultimately to bring him down. And so we see the wholeness of God's plan, that we get just a glimpse of, of what he's doing, and it's amazing to see how God is at work. And, and I just wonder, in the circumstances of your life, have you guys ever experienced this? Have you seen God work where there was things that just didn't make sense, but, but in retrospect, he allowed you to see what was going on? Uh, I know there's many stories here. I, I had one personally for me. Uh, uh, it, it involves how I met my wife, uh, Katrina, and we were... Um, I didn't know her at all. Uh, I was not working at the church, and I was actually just, uh, I was working for this company, and we were importing uh, products, and there was all these customer service issues because the stuff was arriving damaged. And so we had packaging issues, and our warehouses were down in Kentucky, and so I had to go down to Kentucky and figure out what was going on, right? So this whole story that turns out amazing started with, like, this headache of, like, <laughs> uh, we're getting all these damaged goods, and I've got to go figure out what's going on. I didn't really want to go to Kentucky, um, if anybody's from Kentucky, I apologize, but it's not the most exciting place in the world to visit, right? So, so I went down to Kentucky doing these warehouse tours, talking to things, and, uh, but I had some friends who were living there, and so we made plans to go out, and so I was looking forward, like, all right, we're going to grab dinner, and so I can at least look forward to that. Well, I get a call right before we're ready to go out to dinner, and they're like, hey, one of our kids is, is really sick. We're going to take him to the ER. I mean, I think he's okay. It's not like, you know, but, but we're, just to be safe, we're going to do it, so we're not going to be able to do dinner with you tonight. And I was like, oh, man, like... And I felt bad for the kids, so don't make me, I don't want to seem heartless, right? But I was like, now what am I going to do, right? Like, you're the ER, having fun. I got to find dinner. So, so I, I'm like, all right, I know there's a seminary in town here. I know there's a bunch of churches. There's probably a Christian coffee shop somewhere. So I jump on Google, and I type in Christian coffee house or something like that, and up pops uh, this thing, Christian Cafe. And so I'm like, oh, what is this? So I click on it, and it turned out that it was a Christian dating website. And uh, I don't even know if it still exists anymore, but it was like, free 10-day trial. You can talk to people and sign up. And I was like, well... I'm single, I'm bored, <laughs> why not, right? I'm a Christian, this seems to line up. So I went on, set up a profile, um, and they start feeding you people that kind of match up with your profile. And so there was this one girl that I was like, that's clearly got to be a fake picture because she can't be that pretty in real life, right? So, <laughs> and then she was more pretty when I met her, and, uh, right? Immensely more pretty. So, 
but you know, too good to be true. You're like, this just seems like, right? And so, so we, we start talking. And so, so God used, you know, we had these return products. I had to take this trip I didn't want to take. Uh, I had my plans bail out on me. And God used and steered all those things to put me in contact uh, with my wife. She was living up in New York. I was living here in Philly. There's no other way that we would have ever met in our life. There's no way our, cross, our paths would have crossed. But God used that, and he brought us together. And the cool thing is that that, that same weekend, I was, uh, I was getting away, and it was a, it was a time when there was going to be an opportunity here on staff at Riverside, and I was working this regular job, but, but I knew that when I got back in town that Aaron, the pastor, wanted to talk to me about potentially coming on staff, and so I was praying about that, thinking through that this weekend, that weekend, and I didn't know what was going to happen with Trina. We had sent a couple messages, you know. I didn't know what the future held with that and how awesome it would be and how perfect she would be for me. Um, uh, I didn't know that part of the story, but, but during that same weekend, I was also praying through and I remember flying back home, and it was a real early morning flight. And I remember the sun rising kind of above the clouds and, and just praying and, and being like, man, I really, God, I feel like you're calling me uh, to, to take this leap and, and to jump into ministry and to do this. And I'm, when I get back, I'm going to meet with Aaron. I'm going to tell him I'm going to do it. And, and God brought all that together over that weekend. And uh, so I believe this. And so, so what this does is when we come into things that, that we don't want in our life, we come into a difficulty or, or a trial or something that seems inconvenient or something that seems really hard, uh, we have two things. We can look at it and say, oh, man, God must have forgot about me. God must have abandoned me. God must not really care, or maybe he's punishing me because he's angry at me. Or we can look at it and we can say, wow, God, I know, uh, you know, as best I can, I'm seeking to follow after you. And now this has come along, and I wasn't expecting this, and this seems really hard and difficult, but I'm going to believe and trust that you know better, that you have a different plan. It seems like you're leading me on top of Mount Tabor where the enemy is going to surround me but maybe you have a plan. Maybe this is just to lure the enemy in so that you can win an amazing victory, right? And so it changes the way that we look at our situation. And the amazing thing is when you look for God to be at work, uh, you see him at work. I was talking to a pastor this week. He said, he said, three times in a row, my transmission, like they tried to fix it and it kept breaking. And so the third time I walked into the shop and I said to the guy, Clearly, God wants me to have a conversation with you because he keeps bringing me back here. So, so I think my transmission keeps breaking because he wants me to share Jesus with you, right? That's a different kind of perspective when you say like, man, God, what, what are you doing in this inconvenient, difficult, bad situation? What, what is it that you're doing to bring yourself glory? Because I believe you're always working. And if we have that mindset, we see God at work in our circumstances. There was a pregnant woman. She was really pregnant, about to have her baby. And suddenly she found out that she was going to have to do a donkey ride all the way to Bethlehem, right? Uh, that was inconvenient. That was a circumstance because there was this census going on, and so she had to travel there. And so, so uh, uh, spoiler alert, this was Jesus' mom, okay? <laughs> when she got there, she had Jesus. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but then ultimately they ended up going back, and, and he was raised in, in Nazareth and, and Galilee. And, and it's funny because I was just reading this week in the Bible how— um, uh, people, when Jesus was doing all these miracles, they came and they said, wait, wait, no, but he can't be the Messiah because he's from Galilee. And, and the prophets say that the Messiah will come from Bethlehem, so he can't be the one because those people didn't know his story. They didn't know that God had done that. They didn't know about the inconvenient census that came at just the wrong time so that prophecy could be fulfilled completely. And we see this all throughout Scripture, God working in this way. The other way, the second way that, that God works is through people. This is amazing. The, 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 the maker of the universe, the creator of, the, of, of everything would use us. That God is working today, and the vast majority of the way that he's doing it is through you and me. That, 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 that there's things that he wants to do, and he's chosen us as his vehicle, as his vessel, as his tools to do it. 
And that's why Deborah starts out her song. She says, uh, uh, thank the Lord that the people, uh, that the leaders took the lead in Israel and that the people offered themselves willingly. Thank God that the leaders were willing to lead and the people were willing to go and they were willing to be used by God. And we see incredible people used by God in here. We talked about Deborah already, how admirable she was, that she had this gift of prophecy, that she had a special relationship with the Lord, that she could hear from the Lord, that she was wise. But we also see her willingness and availability when Barak says, hey, I'll go, but you have to go with me. She doesn't say, "Uh, sorry, Barak, the message was for you. So (laughs) go fight the battle like you were told and come back and tell me how it goes. Right? No, she's like, she's like, of course, by all means, I will go with you. And I think that Deborah wanted to see this. She knew God was going to work out this amazing thing, and she wanted to be there. She wanted to have front row seats. She didn't want to hear secondhand about what God was going to do. And I wonder for us, do we have that same sort of excitement? Like, man, God, I want to be on the front edge. (laughs) God, you're working in church plants. I know church plants are stepping out in huge faith, and so I want to be on the front edge. I want to go there, even if I'm not called to be a part of one uh, at this point. Maybe I want to go, and I just want to go help them. I I want to be a part of I just want to be involved. I want, I, want, I want in the game because I want a, a taste of what God is going to do. Over the end of June and into July, for six straight weeks, every single night, uh, we're going to have mission teams that are sleeping here in the building. And the reason that we open ourselves up to that is because we want to be a piece of what God is doing. God is doing stuff. He's bringing teams up here to work in our community. And we're like, man, it's a, it's a privilege for us to host those teams because we get to catch a glimpse of what God is doing through them. And so I wonder, do you have that hunger to see, see God at work the way that Deborah did? Are you using the talents and the gifts that God's giving you? You might not have the gift of prophecy, right? Uh, but you have gifts and talents that God has given you. Are you using them? Has he put you in a position of leadership, and are you leading the way that he's calling you to lead? We look at Barak. He was a warrior. He was brave. He was faithful. Uh, and, and, and commentators look at this, and they say there's kind of two ways to look at it. When he says, hey, if you go up, uh, I'll go, but if you don't go, I'm not going to go. Uh, some say that that was him being cowardly and, and backing out. And, uh, and then that's why she says, okay, but you're not going to get the glory. I'm going uh, to sell Cicero into the hand of a woman. But, but, um, but most commentators tend to read it in the more positive light, and I, I would tend to agree that I think that it's a reflection of what Moses said when Moses said, uh, God said, all right, you go into the promised land, but I'm not going to go before you. And Moses said, God, if you're not going, I don't want to go. That's not the promised land. Uh, if you're not going with me, I don't want to go. And I think we see a reflection of this, that the Brock understood that Deborah had a special relationship with God. And he said, I, if I'm going to go, I want you with me. I want to have, I, I want everything that God has gifted you with along uh, for this. And she went with him. So he understood his limitations. He understood, hey, I don't have the gift of, of prophecy uh, in the way that Deborah does. And so uh, I, we need to work together. Uh, I, I thought about calling this sermon, there's no I in team, um, but there is an I am or something like that. But it was gonna a bad title and it didn't work, so I threw it away. But but the idea is still good, right? That that, that God uses us together in a team. Um, and and the unseen partner a lot of times, if we're not looking for him, is God. That the team is always, it's not like God is on our team. We're on God's team, right? It's getting it's getting drafted onto um, LeBron James's team, right? Like I could probably the, the Cavs could probably still win a lot of games with me in the lineup just because LeBron is there, right? But but I would get the joy. Maybe not. I might be that detrimental. But we get invited to be a part, and they work together. That's what's beautiful about this part of the cycle that Deborah and Barack worked in in connection. They used their giftings and they led the people, and and the people went with them. Are you using the gifts that God's given you? And are you willing to do it unselfishly? Are you willing to do it in community? That's what church is all about. I mean, that's what this is. This is us coming together to use our talents and to be more together than we could be individually. 
We saw this ultimately in the life of Jesus, right? Jesus was fully God and fully man. That when God wanted to bring a plan of salvation, he didn't send an angel army and he didn't, uh, he didn't, he didn't do uh, supernatural miraculous things. I mean, he did the most supernatural miraculous thing, but, but he sent a baby into the world <laughs> as, a, as a person. That God works through people and God wants to work through you. Look at JL. She had some issues, right? <laughs> uh, the, the, the Kenites were supposed to be allies of Israel, and yet they had made this alliance with this evil king. And so there was a lot of baggage. There was a lot of weird stuff going on. She's inviting this strange warrior guy into her tent when her husband's not there, right? There's, there's a lot of uh, questionable things going on with JL, but ultimately, whatever her past was, wherever she had come from, uh, she made herself available to God and became an, an instrument of his righteousness. And there's uh, there's... There's a, a picture here, and, and I wouldn't tell you guys, go out and get tent pegs and, and hammers, right? Because God may call you to do the same thing. Uh, because we live on this side of the cross where we've seen at the cross what judgment looks like. God pouring out his wrath on sin and Jesus absorbing that. And so Jesus said, hey, uh, bless those who curse you. Pray for your enemies. Uh, Jesus said, judgment, I'm going to take care of judgment, right? And so our call as his followers is, is to, even to our enemies, say, hey, my greatest desire for you is that, that you would come to know the salvation that's offered in Jesus. Uh, that's, that's how we're called to live, right? But, but J.L. Is, 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 is as a person in a similar sense to what Israel was at this time, that they were sent into the land as God's hand of judgment. God has the right to use judgment. He did it through Israel, and he did it through J.L. in this moment. The final thing that we look at is that God works according to his word. That God had promised the people, like, if you obey me, if you follow after me, I want to give you this land, and I will go before you, and I will fight for you, and I will clear the land, and I will I'll strike down your enemies who are more mighty than you, but it won't matter because I'll fight for you. And then Deborah reinforced that by hearing from the Lord and said, hey, Brock, God said, now is the time. Let's go, right? So, so they were acting, and they had confidence because they're like, we are acting within accordance with God's word. For us, we can have great confidence as, as Christians when we act in accordance with God's word that he's revealed himself through his word, that he's, he's called us how to live and what we should do and what we should seek and what we should set aside and the things that we should leave behind and the things that we should pursue and go after. He's told us all of this. Sometimes we come and say, God, I, uh, you know, I want to know who to kill with a tent peg. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, and I don't want uh, to do the things, the simple acts of obedience that you're calling me to, but but what I've found over and over again is that when you're faithful to the simple acts of obedience, God will continue to reveal more and more and more for you. But it's always going to be in accordance with his word. He's not going to call us to violate what he's laid out for us. I close with this, uh, that the gospel is really what, what gives us a connection in all this because the gospel tells us that there's a, a single story that's going from Genesis through Revelation, from, from, from the beginning all the way to the end, that God has this plan of redemption that he'd worked out and revealed fully in Jesus Christ. At the perfect time, God brought all the right circumstances together for Jesus to be born and to come and live a sinless life and to die for our sins so that we could be offered forgiveness freely. And it says in Ephesians that it's not by our works lest anyone should boast, but it's by faith that we receive that. And so when we put our faith, we say, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you did what you say you did. And even though I'm broken and messed up, that, that I can receive that forgiveness and I can spend eternity with you because of what you have done, not because of myself. When you place your faith in Jesus in that way, you receive salvation. And then you enter into the bigger story. And every moment of your life has meaning and purpose because you are now God's 
uh, ambassador, God's instrument for righteousness and to work out this great salvation that he's working. That's the most exciting mission and purpose that you could ever have in your life, to be on mission for that. But you don't have that apart from the gospel. Apart from the gospel, we're working for our own name or our legacy or, or, or some greater good that's undefinable. But, but ultimately, all those things fade away. The one story that will remain throughout is the story that God has shared with us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you guys pray with me? Father, I thank you that, that you've laid this out for us, that you've, that you've showed us an example in Deborah and Barak of, of those who would be faithful and, and follow you when the leaders would lead and the people would willingly and joyfully join in with what you're doing. I pray that our church would be that, that kind of church, that, that our people would be that kind of people, that we'd be looking for you to be at work and we would jump in where you're working with joy and excitement and expectation. Father, if there are any here who don't know you as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they enter into that story, that they would see the invitation that you're laying out before them and that they would be drawn into the story of Jesus Christ. They may not understand every piece of it, Lord, but if you have gifted them with the faith to believe that Jesus brings them forgiveness of sin, Lord, then I pray that you would, you would make today the day that they commit their hearts to you, Lord, that you would draw them to you. Help us to live for you this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.